this show used to feel like a late night sort of vibe thing for me recording it. I mean, that's still the the vibe. I think that you know, I, I try to get across with our branding, and I, I think we still kind of maintain in a way, yeah, uh, just kind of that, that late night chill conversation thing. But I mean, that was back when it was like October, and we started recording, right? Yeah, and days have gotten a lot longer since then. <laughs> we still record about the same time each Friday, but the sun's still well the up sun in the sky up. right now. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's nice that because for in the late autumn uh, winter here, uh, sunset is like five p.m. But when it comes to yeah, closer to summertime, yeah, it's freaking eight o'clock now. We can pretty much we can still see. It's so nice. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I, I am enjoying it, and I do. I enjoy summer for a lot of reasons, and that's definitely one of them. Um, nostalgia, probably being another, honestly, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's, it's good, but it's, it's definitely been a bit weird and a little bit of an adjustment for these recording days, I guess, just cause it's, I'm so used to it being this like nighttime, you know, we're just sitting around having a good chat and it's, I don't know, it just feels different, but not bad either. I would say. No, definitely not bad. Um, I, th- I mean, realistically it is like somewhat late, but I mean, sun being up. I think it's just as long as we have that vibe that it's late night chills. That's all that matters. Oh, yeah. I was kind of thinking um, with the sun uh, still being out and stuff, um, you're used to being able to uh, do this and kind of like that's the end of the night. But with the the sun still being up, we could end this recording session and still go out and do something if we really wanted Mm -hmm. to. Yeah, well, I'm... Really, I'm probably going to go for a walk after this, but I mean, it being dark outside wasn't really going to preclude me from doing that. Do you prefer walking when it's like pitch black or when it, there's still some light out? Well, see, I don't mind going out when it's like real dark. I mean, I don't ever really think of it as pitch black because I'm usually walking around like I'm not going out like out away from like the street lights and yeah, stuff it's like not that too much. Out. So it's you know it's not like super dark but yeah i mean i don't mind going out for like a late night walk and stuff now and then i it's really not a huge difference for me i guess in the summer night times maybe a little better just because it's not as hot like midday walks during the summer months can be a little rough like it's it's something i'll do but i guess it just comes with like a i I have to really ask myself beforehand like do i want to come back feeling drenched in sweat or yeah. <laughs> I mean like yeah I mean it, it is for me I like going really late at night just because you know it's not as hot but then of course you're contending with mosquitoes so oh uh, yeah off. yeah it's yeah. Your hell, really oh god yeah I, I haven't really started yet but they're I know it's a matter of fucking time yeah I I have really bad luck when it comes to mosquitoes. I don't know if it's like I'm necessarily allergic, but when I get mosquito bites, they really swell up like more than they really should. I think. <laughs> Jeez, maybe that's almost like a almost make you wonder if it's like a, an allergic thing or something like that. That's what my mom says. She says it's an allergy, but I, what does she know? I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> where's her medical degree? Where's her medical degree? She's always asking where mine is. Where's hers? <laughs> <laughs> damn i'm kidding she doesn't she's actually a good mom <laughs> <laughs> i i feel like having parents 
who are doctors would be terrible. I don't know. I feel like there'd be so much pressure to be a doctor, you know? Uh, I don't know. I guess it really depends on your parents. I feel like like you're not wrong, though. Like, I feel like there's definitely, there would be some parents in that profession who would, like, you know, they they would see that as, like, oh, this is a route to, like, living well and living comfortably. I'm going to try to push my kids to go that way because I can guide them and help provide my expertise. And I, like, I can show them the way to, like, success through this. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it also has to do with, like, parents can be, like, this is the knowledge that I have and this is the skill set I can pass on to my kids. So if they have questions about this field, I can teach them that sort of thing and you know that's how you get like multi-generations of like you know chicken farmers or like husky sled dog trainers you know yeah see though the thing i think there that's a big difference between like what you were talking about the example of a doctor and that sort of profession is like those are like much more i I maybe blue collar jobs i guess would be the way to put it but like like jobs that are maybe being done by people who aren't as privileged to be able to afford to go and become a doctor, right? Uh, like I, right, yeah. I, I think it's two very different things. So that's one situation where it's like, well, I grew up in this small town, you know, hauling shit with huskies, and that's what my dad did, and I went with him every day for that, and so when it came time, you know, for me to have a job, that's just what I moved into, because that's what the family does, and that's just what, what I know to survive kind of thing, right? Whereas, like, you know, somebody who has the options to do whatever, but they're just pushed into it because their parents are trying to, like, keep the legacy going. Yeah, I guess. I feel like there's also a lot of parents, though, that just don't really give that much of a shit about what their kids do. I just want them to do what they want to do. Uh, yeah, as long sure. as they're, like, yeah, not necessarily be successful, but as long as you, like, really try for something and, like, don't just, like, waste your life away, like, they yeah. pretty much are fine with whatever. Yeah, there's definitely some though that it's it's maybe not they necessarily want you to follow the their profession, but they want you to get into the right profession for sure. Well, I know um apparently I don't know if it's still like this, but a little bit ago, um I wanna say uh Chinese parents were like really against their kids becoming artists. Like I guess I don't know, that's just like uh kind of something I've been reading about online. Well, I don't know how true that would be necessarily. Like, it's not something I've actually looked into for. Um, I I could see it potentially, though, just from what little I I guess I would maybe claim to understand culturally of of how some people would be. And that that partly just comes from my experience with like uh, there there was a supervisor at the job I had before. Um, this guy's name was uh was Paul um was what he he sort of went by but um he uh yeah he he was definitely the kind like he he was a dude who uh immigrated from China uh, I don't remember how many years ago would have been now quite a few but he he was definitely the kind of guy where I, I I sort of see that uh I guess that tendency of like pushing for jobs that have like that pay well that have good benefits like setting yourself up good in life more so and having good job security over necessarily like like that's sort of like what you should be aiming for in life i guess where it's you know artistic pursuits don't necessarily aren't always necessarily the most uh, financially stable i guess so that that maybe is something that would be uh 
sort of pushed against in terms of maybe something that you would want to get into. Cause I mean, he, he was always talking to us about like, Oh, you got to get joined in the military. Cause then they'll just pay your way through whatever. And then you'll be just set and you'll have all these benefits. And everything else. like, he just, it was like a constant thing. Like he'd swear he was from the fucking recruitment office. Some days. <laughs> so I can chime in as an actual Chinese person. This is fair. <laughs> I was sort of hoping you would at some yeah, point. Yeah, so was I, honestly. I, I, I was just waiting for you to, like, stop talking about the other guy because I didn't want to, like, interrupt. But I was like, okay, I'll chime in later. <laughs> I, well, I probably should have let you lead off, but... Sorry, no, it's fine. So, yeah, no, you definitely nailed it on the head. In, in my own experiences and what I've seen with, like, all my cousins and, like, family friends who are also Chinese, it is, like, there is more of that, like, push towards job security rather than something that would, quote, unquote, make you happy. Um, just because, like, so many of our parents struggled so much uh, trying to find good work and, like, you know, something that's secure. So, you know, it's more of a push just to make sure that we don't have to go through the same struggles that they did. And I know that when I got my job in the uh, public service, my friend, my, like my family friends and my parents had used this term that translates to essentially uh, like that job is what's called a silver bowl. And that's supposed to basically represent like, oh, like your your dinner bowl is never going to break on you it's always going to be able to hold your food on you so you'll never it, it's like basically like you'll never go hungry because you're worried about like your cheap shit breaking on you and you have a steady income mm. so okay. yeah and like I don't know and but like my dad was also a little bit different than other Chinese parents in the sense that he was like you can hold two jobs if you want to but they have to be like there's the one that will keep you happy and the one that will pay the bills yeah so well, that's very fair I mean that's there there is some truth to that because I mean like there's there's a part of me that would definitely like to spend more time uh and i i am trying even the time that i do have available to, to commit more to some of my art and stuff like that but it, it's hard for me where i'm at right now to kind of potentially explore the idea of moving my family. i mean part of it just i need more skill i feel for sure but also i'm making pretty good money right now like in a way like i kind of have that that silver bowl so i don't necessarily want to like get rid of that but it's it's definitely like a quandary like i deal with too so like i can i know like i i can understand and i can sympathize with that mindset because i feel like there's definitely a rush sometimes for people to like you know uh basically kind of denounce that kind of idea like no do what makes you happy more than like what's financially stable but like you got to be able to feed yourself and keep yourself yeah. you know secure yeah. so i mean i as yeah. long as you know like you know your parents are like yeah, as long as they're willing to at least accept that, like, if you can, once you do maybe eventually become successful in that, that, you know, that's still a legitimate act that you took, even though it was maybe a bit riskier, I could maybe say, see, like, why some people would be against that. But I don't really think that's the reality in a lot of cases. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's... Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to how you were raised and what where your values are, because there's plenty of people who are like, I can eat canned beans for the rest of my life because I know I'm happy doing what I do. And that's perfectly fine for them. Just 
for me personally, I feel a lot better knowing that my job has like, you know, dental coverage and prescription coverage and glasses coverage. And like, I can toil the nine to five in a cubicle, knowing that my glasses are covered for, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's fair. I mean, there's things around, uh, you know, certain aspects of medical coverage. I think we even talked about last week a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that oh I, I wish I... were a little bit better or a little bit more covered for, I guess. But I won't get, yeah, we don't have to get too into that right now, but... I, I, I was like, there's so, just from the last few weeks of podcasts when I was at here. By the way, I I successfully fought Dingo in this game of King of the Hill on spot oh, yeah. or the spot on the balcony. Dingo's oh, yeah. dethroned. Yep, That's Dingo. true, and it's uh, it is. I will say because oh, fuck me, these cold opens. I always let it go way too goddamn long, and then it's it's, it's sort of a run on thing, but. I will say, this is a special one this week, because this is episode 30 of Balcony Banter. Yeah. The big uh, 3-0. No one, no one thought we could do it, but here we are. <laughs> they all doubted us, but look where we are now. Freaking it's, haters. It's summertime <laughs> now, too. It's like, not even like just kind of almost summer like it was before in the last couple weeks, I guess. It's... It's fall. Summer. It's yeah. it was it's it's summer summer's eve, I guess. <laughs> it's that perfect level of where it's like it's not humid out yet. Yeah. So it's warm, but it's not. You can so yeah. to, it to like the ex- uh, fullest. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And in a few weeks, so. it's gonna be a fiery, swampy hell. <laughs> sure is. Oh man. So. <laughs> Who, who are you guys? Who are the hosts? Well, I'm glad you asked. My name is Bees. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm this boy Big Bo here again. <laughs> Big B. I just, I guess if this is your first time listening, I suppose I should clarify. But I don't know. I'm here. I'm, I don't know. It's been a long, <laughs> like, okay, it's been a long week. I, I know I sound stoned, but I need to assure you, this is actually, I'm not that baked compared <laughs> to like how I usually, I have the style I have been on some episodes. I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually pretty restrained tonight. <laughs> I am just wore okay. the fuck out. I don't know why. It's just been a busy week. And I'm invisible. Fly. I was gonna, oh, yeah. I was gonna <laughs> ask, like, uh, who's our guest well, for today? But oh, you've been more there. You've been on, you've been on enough. I feel like yeah. fun, they know. Yeah, I know. They know you are. You're just you're you're yeah, always around. Usually around, I guess. Yeah. But no, Dingo has been slain. Well, he's been Dingo has around. been slain. But I, I've taken the spot. That's the, he's yeah, but his skeleton. The, I will clarify: his skeleton nature does allow him to come back. It's not like he's <laughs> hit, dying for Dingo is not like a true death, as it would be for us mortals. It's it's like it's dry more like Mario. Yeah, except crush him for a bit, and then he just comes forms back to life. Yeah, except he's sent back to the shapeless void. And it takes him a little while to reform, but those bones do come crawling back. I thought the lore that was like he's also a Gundam, wasn't it? Yes, he is a Gundam who wields a <laughs> just a massive tower of a Beyblade. This horrible <laughs> metal monstrosity that he just launches like a spinning club, I guess. I don't quite understand how he wields it, but he he beats the shit out of you with it. 
Man, just the last few weeks of listening to you guys on the podcast, there were so many times when I was just like, that's not it, <laughs> or that's not what it's called. And I'm just screaming while I'm listening to you guys, um, to your episodes, like, A, it's called Beyond Meat, that's the brand name, B, <laughs> the instant bread thing works because of the the yeast in the beer and see spirited away is not mid <laughs> okay for one <laughs> and d blue steak is no. good well i don't know i don't know about that i will say i did fight for the fact that spirited away was not mid. oh yeah that was yeah. i cannot <laughs> believe dingo for one i'll just say i cannot believe dingo coming I... out spirit away is just mid dingo listen no yeah. put the podcast on hold this one is just for dingo if you're if you're a listener at home, you just gotta put the headphones down for a couple minutes. Dingo, come at me, bro. Fucking mid. Yeah. You come on with that shit. Like it is one of the most genuinely, most atmospheric and magical animated. That was what of I said. Time. The animation <laughs> holds. Oh, yeah. I know the animation holds up. And like just as he was just talking about how like, eh, it's all right. I was screaming <laughs> while I was listening to I that think episode. The only so, animated not... movie that I'm like I would say just only barely edges out spirited away for like my favorite animated movie ever would probably be Akira. And that's okay, yeah. I mean, I think that's like one of the ones that like one of the few I think that you could really say tops it just because it's oh yeah. Akira is, is such an amazing uh, thing. But that's the thing. The fact that you are just barely second to Akira. <laughs> yeah, and okay, so actually I wanted to talk about um that's really interesting that you bring up Akira because I was I was about to say that I was gonna say my one of my favorite. 2D animated films is actually Redline, but I don't oh. think Redline would exist without Akira. So I don't know if it's fair for me to say it's better than Akira, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I haven't I haven't seen Redline. It's one I've been meaning to watch for a long time. I know it's good. Mm. I know I should. I it, believe me, it's I don't need to be sold on Redline. <laughs> it's I know it's like I would fucking dig too. It's just not something I've sat down and watched yet. But for sure. I don't know. I feel like there's some difference between them. But yeah, I, I guess there are some things that I'm sure they probably pick up as inspiration from uh, some things like that to how they make it. So I, it's tough for me to say how that will be, I guess, without it. But I feel like what I've seen of it, I wouldn't necessarily think of the relation. But I, I guess thinking about like the biker shit at the beginning, especially, although I know that. Yeah. yeah. So and that's where I was just like initially saying that like i wasn't saying that they're at least the same i'm not saying like oh yeah it's exactly like it no no the plots are completely different the themes are completely different i just mean in sense of like the style of how you know you can do um that really gross um not necessarily post-apocalyptic for like redline but like the barren wasteland kind of look um with the mechanical like you know the, the the cars and the bikes that sort of stuff with it like the overall settings are very different but i feel like there are some things from akira that probably got carried into redline or at least inspired it and oh i i only bring redline up because um invisibo watched it for the first time the other day and he, and he was just on the couch going like, holy shit this is amazing <laughs> so. yeah 
I uh, there's that one I mean to watch. Another one I mean to see that actually I feel like you might dig just from the bits that I've seen of it. I don't know if Trigger had a hand in this one or not. Maybe they did. Actually, now that I think about it, it was the Pro Mare. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, oh boy. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I um okay. So Pro Mare, yes. Um, I haven't watched it. I've only gotten like a little bit into it because I just, again, like one of those things where like, I know it is the thing that I want to watch, but I just haven't gotten around to sitting, uh, actually sitting down and watching it. But yes, everything about Promare, like from the clips that I've seen, I think was heavily influenced by like Gurren Lagann. Like the two characters look identical, basically. Right? Oh yeah. Well, the one guy is, yeah, he's, he's basically like not Kamina, but that's not a bad thing either. No, 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 definitely not. And um, like I just know, like it was just one of those things where like my brother and I meant to sit down and actually watch it together, but we just never got around to doing it. Um, and and by the and and yes, it was by Trigger. So okay, I thought so because yeah, it seemed very much like it, and very it definitely had that like uh, design and flair of like Gurren Lagann and Kill a Kill and stuff like that. That really strong style that Trigger has with their stuff. Yeah, and, uh, I've heard like some ev- very good things about it though, for sure. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like it, that sort of like neon bizarre color scheme and the robot, you know. It kind of reminds me, like, it kind of looks like something I would see, like, in arcade, honestly. Yeah, just like, you kind of like the neon and, yeah, just the bright colors. What what do you think it's about, Bees? It looks like, from the Google images that I'm looking at, it just looks like it's kind of like a, oh, I don't know how to explain it, Uh, an anime cyberpunk, I guess. I'm pretty sure. Now, I I know it is futuristic for sure, but correct me if I'm wrong, Fly. But is it not about firefighters? <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know. I don't remember off the top of my head. I think I'm gonna have to Google it. One of us is gonna have to Google it. It's probably gonna be me. I guess I'm doing it, bro. Bear. I guess you're doing it. Um, because I'm pretty it. sure it is a firefighting. Uh. Yeah, it is. Well, like, yeah, it. I mean, it's like creatures that show up that are like, fi- like, like fire. But uh, I, I don't, rem- I don't know if it's like you know, quote unquote, firefighting the way that like you know, fire forces. You know. <laughs> yeah, that show is just straight up shown in firefighters. Oh man, Wait, what's it called? Are you saying Promare? E R O M A R E. Okay, so I am looking at the right one. How is it about yeah, yeah. firefighters? They have swords and stuff. <laughs> well, I, I as <laughs> as Fly said, I think it's like fire monsters that they fight. It's, it's oh, kind of okay. I just remember reading some synopsis at one point that just described it like it's like oh, it's these firefighters or whatever. I'm like what the fuck? How the fuck is this a firefighter <laughs> show? I'm like all right, sure. I mean, Gurren Lagann was about dudes with drills at first, so you know. Yep. We can make it work. I can believe. I mean, those pants do look like they're pulled right from a firefighter outfit, so I can see that. Fair enough. <laughs> I had to look especially closely at the man's pants. Yeah. Um. The the one last thing I was gonna say that I just really loved about um Redline is its use of 
pure black on the screen and it makes all the other colors pop on the screen as a result and it sort of comes across like it reminds me of like those kind of retro like 50s pop art um um i don't know how to explain it it's like um that kind of art that you would see that's like it looks like a comic book but not quite um back when ads ads were all drawn and stuff yeah so it's yeah because it's basically doing it more like it's not treating it like what most anime would do with more like soft shading and stuff like that so it'd be more like a almost kind of like digital painting or, or like cell shading is more what you typically see in anime, I guess. It's taking more the approach of like what you would do of like inking and stuff like that. Like you could take away most of the colors from this and, or, or even all the colors and just have the line art and it would still have like a lot of the impression of the shading and stuff. Like there's yeah. some detailing and highlighting, but a lot of it is just focused on just the blacks and doing very sharp, uh, hard shading through that way, which is, uh, more like yeah. an inking style, so you'd see more in like uh, American comic books or manga, especially too. Yeah, no, for sure, and 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 that's a lot of why I just loved, um, why I love Redline, just because it's it's so sharp to look at. I'm looking at some screenshots now, and I can definitely see it. That was actually not a detail that I had uh, picked up on on some of the imagery I'd seen before, but yeah, that's uh, ooh, that is actually really cool. I really dig that. Oh yeah, I've been trying to get better myself actually at doing that kind of uh, line art work, which was kind of what I tried to incorporate on the last dude that I did. But I was going for a lot rougher style, I guess. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Hopefully, this chat um, kind of inspires you to go watch it because it definitely is one hundred percent up your alley. Oh yeah, I as I said, I know it is for sure. But I. Uh, while we're on the topic of Japanese media, actually, <laughs> I, uh, as I am well known and reputable at this point, I'm sure, for my my love of uh, tokusatsu media and particularly Godzilla films, Godzilla is really the only uh, like property I was really into for a lot of that stuff. Um, but I, being on Twitter and seeing a lot of the stuff that I had been got me kind of interested and a little curious and checking out the or arguably like the other really big like tokusatsu figure and particularly like kaiju figure in uh uh japanese media and that is ultraman uh man do you well okay I, i'm sure you know at least a, a passing bit about ultraman fly but bees do you know anything about ultraman uh de- definitely no these images uh, it's definitely yeah, it's something from the sixties or like the original thing. It kinda, yeah, it kind of looks like again. I'm just basing this com- off completely off Google images, but it looks like uh, kind of like Transformers almost, and this like the fighting sense. Transformers, yeah, where it's like it's just old goofy fights that are yeah. so cheesy, but it's exactly, so good. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess I yeah, just... not like the actual transforming. Yeah, just cut. Yeah, the the okay. or of like the fights and stuff yeah no i get you now i i was just thinking trying to understand like i thought did i say transformers oh, no. i meant power rangers not oh, transformers. that's okay what I, am okay. i thinking thank that's you why I was okay because i was okay. like i'm glad wait <laughs> transform i'm like how yeah. is transformers i'm like okay i guess big goofy fights yeah i guess that's a thing from that but 
I oh, still seem man. like a weird comparison to me, but okay, I understand that. Yes, actually, and that's the that's the funny thing because uh, um, so Sentai! yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I was going. Uh, so Power Rangers actually bees. Do you know how Power Rangers was made? Like the TV series. I'm guessing like based off this. Well, so no, no, not uh, Ultraman, but um, uh, the show basically Power Rangers is a westernization of the Super Sentai series from Japan, which is another really big like tokusatsu property there. So uh, there's been tons and tons of series there, but what they would do is they would take all the footage of them like in the suits fighting the monsters and stuff, or when they'd have like the Megazord come out and fight the big like kaiju monsters and stuff. They would take those clips, but then cut them around uh, these newly shot pieces of like the American actors and stuff, oh. along with maybe some shots of them like doing some fights in the suits and stuff, just to kind of help with like continuity yeah. and shit. But that's yeah. that's how Saban did it for a long time. They just had like a deal going with uh, I don't remember the name or quite which company. I think it's Toei that does Sentai. Yeah. Um, I think they had like a deal with them, and that was that was just how they produced the or like the westernized version of it as Power Rangers, but yeah. So like the only things the Americans had to do was like film their like American high school scenes as well as dub over the uh the fight yep. scenes, but any fight scenes when they're like in the suits, that's the original like Sentai stuff. Okay. Yep. And oh, that's uh yeah, Ultraman is uh, well, and really Sentai kind of came out more from Ultraman than Ultraman did from Sentai because the Sentai stuff was like a good bit later that they started doing like those kinds of series. But Ultraman was from like way back in the sixties, and that's because you had this guy Subaraya who helped with Toho working on the original Godzilla film. Uh, but then he basically went like, "Oh, okay, that was cool." He's like, "I want to do this on TV now," and then he went and basically formed uh, Subaraya Productions, which. I don't know the exact relationship they had with Toho, but I know that the original uh, 1960s uh, Ultraman series uh, did repurpose a number of costumes from uh, Godzilla films, uh, oh, including Godzilla cool. and uh, and King Ghidorah and like some other ones, uh, and just like repurpose parts of their suits or, or big chunks of it to make new monsters for Ultraman. But the Ultra series, as it's called uh, at points in Japan as well, is uh, it actually started with this one show called Ultra Q, uh, which was more like a mystery solving thing and kind of is more like a paranormal investigation. Didn't really have much to do with big giant monsters necessarily, but it did have like some weird alien stuff and, and other things like that. But uh, Ultraman was the second series that they did. And then that basically became like a standard for most of the Ultra series after that, because the whole idea of Ultraman was that you had the uh, science search patrol i don't remember exactly what they were called now but uh they were basically like this like scientific like um investigative squad thing that would also go out and deal with like monsters and other weird like paranormal threats and stuff like that yeah. but the one guy uh shin hayata who is like the main dude he uh basically ended up basically meeting this like this being of light from outer space and he basically became the host for this weird like alien entity that he can basically summon out for a limited period of time uh to fight for him and it's this big giant uh big giant dude called ultraman and he's <laughs> sick as hell because he just he doesn't really talk but he beats the shit out of big monsters and he's got crazy laser hands and shit and he can Man, he's just, he's kind of cool, honestly. Uh, he's got a very simple design, but he's 
he's uh he's pretty neat i don't know there's something about him that's just kind of charming but um i think the one thing because i've been reading more about like the history of the character and stuff recently because i kind of wanted to get an understanding of like the context of it as i'm kind of starting to get into the fandom and uh the one thing that i've found interesting on the one wikipedia page i read was that it actually likened uh it was basically like you can see it talked about like references to ultraman basically in like japanese media and like the prevalence of it and kind of a, as sort of a demonstration of how popular the series is and it basically likened it to like it, it, his appearances in japanese media much the same way that like superman would be referenced here in north america and stuff like that like that that big broad cultural understanding and recognize recognition of this character as like a, a big like heroic character that's just well known by everybody and that's that's ultraman and he's pretty sick and he's been in series ongoing for many 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 years like up until today like it's uh, there's only been like pe like sort of brief periods where there's been like not a lot going on with it but uh, it, it's been something that's been going on since the 60s and hasn't really stopped and has no signs of stopping because fucking uh, oh man there's some, some cool stuff coming from it actually here soon but I'll talk about that in a moment well I was actually uh, going to say I'm scrolling through uh, the Google here and I see like Ultraman official trailer from Netflix I'm like oh oh yeah, they, yeah. Are, well, they are still doing stuff with it. Yeah, well, that was an anime they did that was like uh It is from 2019 to be fair, but still. Yeah, well, it was sort of like a follow up to like the original Ultraman from the 60s because he basically like Ultraman's kind of like uh, kind of like Doctor Who in a way. I guess would probably be like the easiest comparison to make, where like every season of it that they do is like a new continuity and a new show. It's a new Ultraman. It's a new whole setup and everything, but. Um, sometimes they still cross over with each other during like big movie events and stuff like that, but it's uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. It's basically just monster of the week shit. It's every episode basically culminates with you know, Ultraman goes big for a bit, he beats the shit out of <laughs> you know, whatever enemy there is, but big fight. Yeah, well, I've been watching like some YouTube videos and stuff recently too about some of the series and just like it. It really is kind of wild because, like, we were talking about, like, you're you're bringing up fly like influences of like Akira and Redline and stuff like that. It's it's crazy to me, like how I, I'm sort of realizing through like checking out things in Ultraman, like how influential it actually was. Because, um, like, you've you've probably seen the thing in anime yeah. and in video games and stuff where there's like the character will have like a hat that'll have like this like big blade on it that's kind of like s-shaped with like a big <laughs> front, flat front at the end and then they'll like throw it and it'll spin right and it'll be like this big boomerang thing yeah that's from one of the ultraman series the one that aired just after the original oh! 1960s one it's one called ultra seven and that's well, like what that. that version is called and i was like i was watching a youtube video and he pointed that out and i'm like Oh fuck! Like that's why I see that same design popping up <laughs> fucking everywhere. Like there's a Kirby transformation that has that Chi Chi when she first <laughs> appears in Dragon Ball wears a hat that has the same blade. They they all use it the same way because that was like his signature attack. And I was like, that blew my fucking mind. <laughs> but also the whole thing too, like Hideaki Anno, who created Evangelion, he's he was a huge fucking Ultraman fan. Like, one of his first, like, things that he did yeah. when he was working with Daikon, which was the production studio that would become Gainax, is they made an Ultraman fan film. But, oh, cool. more than that, 
I'm because I'm a pretty big fan of Evangelion. I'm realizing there is a lot of influence from Ultraman and Evangelion, like a huge amount. Like the Evangelions themselves, in a lot of ways, could be thought of as like a sort of a a weird deconstruction almost of how like an Ultraman could actually work because the Evangelions are biological in nature for one, but the whole concept of I can turn into this big powerful form to fight the big kaiju monster, but I only have a limited time to do it really syncs up with the Evangelions and their uh, their whole thing around like they have a limited battery supply if they're ever cut off from like their main cable that they have. And that's a frequent thing that's used for tension during the fights against the angels in that series mm-hmm. is that threat of like, oh no, my battery's running out. And how similar that's been in Ultraman to, oh no, the the color timer on his chest is starting to blink. He's running out of time with his power. He's got to beat the villain quick. But it's, I mean, it shows a, a greater mastery of filmmaking, I think, in Anno's case, because he uses it much more effectively in Evangelion than in in Ultraman, it's very formulaic of like, oh no, it's it's a bit of tension, but like, you know, he's just going to immediately whip out the spacium beam and just like kill the kaiju. That's going to be <laughs> the end of it. Because that's, that's just the formula that's been built up over years. But like Anno with Evangelion kind of twists that a little bit, right? In, in terms of uh, how he sort of makes that into the deconstruction that it is. But um, yeah, and talking about Anno, that's the thing I'm really excited about and part of why I'm interested to get into it because uh tokusatsu fans have been cleaning their goddamn jeans because as some of you on here will know back in 2016 uh ano got to co-direct along with shinji higuchi uh, shin godzilla and that is bar none the best godzilla movie that has ever fucking existed Mm -hmm. uh except for maybe the original from 1954 but even then like shin godzilla is like would be at least on the same level. And I think the only, the only reason that 54 is as high is just the historical significance for sure. Yeah. Um, is that value the original? Yeah. Oh yeah. The well, OG. there, there is a lot of uh, like really serious artistic merit to the first one. Like a lot of the movies that came after the 54, like in the, that same shower era were pretty goofy, but the 1954 original, like there's, there's a lot that is genuinely there. It, it is a pretty good movie, but um yeah, Shin Godzilla was insanely good, but uh, he is also going to be working on now Shin Ultraman and Shin Kamen Rider, which Man. is like, which is everyone's losing their goddamn mind. That's pretty hype. Yeah, well, because oh, yeah. Kamen Rider is like, uh, it's it's another like really big like tokusatsu series. Like, it would be more comparable to like Super Sentai and like Power like Slash Power Rangers type stuff. Like, it's uh. It's a bit different. I don't know much of a common writer. I'm not going to talk too much about that. But like, man, there's a trailer for Shin Ultraman, and I I gotta say, I'm loving how much like Shin Godzilla it's feeling. <laughs> it oh man, it's got so much of the same aesthetic, but it's uh they are taking it hella fucking seriously though, and they're doing some interesting things because they are uh, one of the big things that Ano and Higuchi have really been pushing on with it is to try and make uh, Ultraman look as close to the original design that the uh, the original designer on the series told Narita uh, had for the character of Ultraman. They're trying to bring that out in like the most true way that they could. Because uh, I guess that Tsuburaya Productions, when they went live with the show, they made like some tweaks to the design that he wasn't exactly like a big fan of, from what I at least from what I've heard. Mm. I don't know how necessarily true all some of these details are, but the basic idea is like they added the whole color timer thing on his chest that like indicates like how much time he has left, and 
Uh, there was a, 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 some of the other things that they removed that had kind of been staples of the series, but were more just uh, quirks of like the suit design that they would have. Like the eyes would have like little peepholes in the bottom of the big like bulbs that would be sort of like the base of the eye uh, that were kind of like commonly there. This little like quote unquote dorsal fin he had on the back of his head that was just like a cover for the zipper, basically, so it wouldn't uh, look like a suit on TV as much. <laughs> uh, they've like removed those, and it's kind of like a it's kind of a big deal because it's like those are as weird as they are and as much as they are just kind of quirks of the design for the most part like and of of doing it with the traditional suit method they're still kind of seen as like aspects of the character that like to remove those is kind of like a a bold change in a way but it uh it looks interesting and i'm i'm stoked to see it because if it's anything as good as shin godzilla was that's uh ooh. Man, I talked a lot about Ultraman <laughs> just there. I, uh... No, that's fine. There's a lot to go into. Don't worry about it. I, oh. I, I was just thinking how, um, just opening up the whole Sentai thing, and uh, I mean, like starting with Ultraman, like, um, to explain it with like Power Rangers, and uh, like these, I just thought it was so neat that you said, "Oh, this reminds me of Power Rangers because, mm -hmm. you know, Power Rangers came from Super Sentai, which came from Ultraman, which was like inspired by Godzilla, and you know, we just go so far back in time to all the way to the '50s, where you get all these different franchises, like sort of, you know, influencing each other." And how it's just like all these different ideas evolve over time. I don't know. It's just really cool. You get all these different franchises uh, oh, it coming is out from like the same thing. It definitely is cool, like seeing like origin slash like inspiration of like some of your yeah. favorite things. Yeah, either now or growing up from when you were a kid. Yeah. No, it's it's just neat seeing how far back all of this stuff goes. You know. Oh, absolutely. It is. It is pretty cool um yeah and i mean it's for me it's interesting too because i like going back and checking out some of these older things too just because it's it's interesting to kind of go back and get that influence in a way because for me like artistically it can be kind of inspiring to see some of these things and to kind of get interesting ideas from them and stuff um even if they are kind of like because that's the thing like there's for as goofy and weird as some of these things can be there are some cool and interesting ideas that they deal with um, I find at least with some of them, uh, it could be kind of hit or miss sometimes a little bit with with some of these things uh, in movies and shows and stuff. But yeah, like there's there's a lot there. Like I was rewatching um, Godzilla versus Biollante recently, and that movie is man, we got to watch that as a group sometime. That film <laughs> is such a fucking laugh. <laughs> it's because they try to do all this like weird like spy espionage like intrigue shit through a big chunk of the movie. And it it just comes across as goofy because like they'll be doing some shit and then suddenly there's like gunshots. But it, of course, like the special effects are are not great, uh, or, or at least not the best they could be. But then there's suddenly like some dude in like in like shades with like a ponytail, like shooting a sniper at them from like way the fuck out, and he's just like <laughs> looking like like just looking like he's too cool for school as he's like just kind of like yeah. stepping down this like metal stairway like chain like reloading and they're like oh no we gotta go but then these other guys are showing up in a truck and it's like these two like clearly american actors who are like not, not acting the best because they don't care because it's english and most people in japan <laughs> can't speak it and the whole idea though is like for as goofy as a lot of all the the spy shit is and and everything that's going on with that it's 
the core of a lot of the idea of where that comes from is because like Godzilla had like come up and was fucking shit up, but he left behind because they managed to do some damage on him, like bits of his like like flesh and stuff like that. And people are like, oh, we could get his cells and like do research and shit on these, and we might be able to use them for all kinds of you know whatever science shit. They basically become like a MacGuffin through a big chunk of the movie, but it's a cool idea about like having all of these different like government corporate entities that are like all vying for like you know the remains of a big like powerful kaiju monster that had just come up on shore and like it's kind of an interesting way to see like the after effects of like what these creatures have on the world and how that sort of affects like society in a way in in that you have all these groups like vying for it that i thought was a really cool idea not executed the best throughout the movie (laughs) but i that's like one of the biggest things that I kind of like had a gripe with with Pacific Blue or Pacific Rim when they said, like, "Oh, there's a sorry, no blue because they got the the kaiju blue thing." Remember? Yeah. And like they never went into it. Yeah. That's the thing. I really wish there was more world world building around that part because I thought that was just so interesting. You're like ah, the the toxic phenomenon known as kaiju blue, and just well, we never got more of that. Yeah, that's uh, man. It's fair. I feel like it's one of those things that they came up with, like, oh, this would be a nice bit of, like, world dressing to put on to really help make the world feel more Mm -hmm. lived in, which it definitely did. But yeah, it's definitely one of those things that, like, it's such a good idea that it's, like, would have been cool if you explored that a little bit more. But it was, it was, yeah. I got that when I was, I, I had that exact same problem when I ended up reading the manga Kaiju number eight. Um, I don't, oh, I yeah. don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast yet. But I don't know. I've seen, I've read a little bit of it, but go on. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I, I picked it up going in blind and I didn't know what the series was about and it starts and you have, you have the setting is modern day world. Um, you have Kaiju and you have an elite team of humans that they don't have, you know, uh gundams or or jaegers or anything to fight the kaiju they've got like super high tech power suits that just you know like human sized and they fight with those power suits on you know a la power rangers basically and they're tigers if you're one chick but go on (laughs) and and like the 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 main character is like a guy in his 30s not 16 not 18 in his 30s, who was a part of the kaiju body cleanup team. And I thought that was really fucking cool. I thought that was a really neat idea. I thought we were going to get a really cool, like, slice of life kind of thing about how his job is cleaning up, like, dead kaiju bodies and body parts. It didn't stay like that. It goes into other stuff, which is also yeah. very interesting. And it, I, yeah, yeah, I like the other stuff, but I just, I felt sort of let down because I thought that was just a really interesting premise that it wasn't going to be just another fighting shonen. I don't know. Yeah, so that was kind of the thing for me. I think and you really kind of hit on the main points I was going to hit because yeah, I, I, I like the character, uh, the the main dude. I like that he was like this washed up dude in his thirties, and he seemed kind of. And I still think even for like where it goes and basically being like another shonen battle anime. I did think the concept was cool because he's like, yeah, you know what? I am going to try to push myself to go and join like the, you know, the kaiju like fighting group and stuff like that and go in and try and do that. But then he like becomes a kaiju, but he's also like this washed up dude in his 30s, like trying to kind of go and 
shift into this, like make yeah. this drastic career change while also hiding this new power and stuff. Kind of a neat idea. Yeah. But yeah, I uh, I definitely am with you in that I would have preferred a series about, you know, a group of people like especially I wouldn't have even cared like the main dude's fine. He didn't need to change, but I would have like just give me a cast of characters who work as like the crew of uh, yes. like kaiju cleanup crew and just give me that as a series. Like that would be cool. I would cool. love that. I would love that, would, that so that would be much. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the series continues on being successful, I would love to see that as a spin-off. Yeah, I think it would be it'd be a cool idea. And I think that's the thing that like <sighs> And that's the problem that I have with some of the fans in, like, the kaiju community, because there's definitely the subset of it that's like, we just want to see big monsters do big fights. But, like, no. What is good media that utilizes kaiju is, like, the kaiju either aren't the focus and it's just something happening around them that I think can work well, or it has to be in some way where the world is like reacting to it and the characters yeah. and like what's happening with it. Like it has to make sense, I guess. And there has to be like a plot line around it that like utilizes the Kaiju in an interesting way. That isn't just relying on big monsters, having big fights. There has to be a good human element to it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like monsters, yes, obviously it's super fun to watch big monsters fight. That's why we all saw Kong versus Godzilla. That's all what we were there for, but it can't be the only thing. Um, it's good to have a balance for, you know, you get one movie that's like that or another movie that has a human aspect or a purpose for the kaiju, you know? Exactly. That's what I'm naming this episode, by yeah. the way, purpose for <laughs> kaiju. Um, yeah, like for me, that's the thing. Cause like Godzilla versus Kong, it, it was a fun time for what it was. It, it was dumb fun, but it, it was it was kind of so I will dumb. admit, it was it was fun. fun. I, I had a fun enough time watching it. I think it learned some good lessons from King of the Monsters before it for sure. Yeah. But I I I, I realized, you know, I I realized in all of my, because uh, I, I was a King of the Monsters apologist, but in re-watching the movie, I realized I only liked it for the last 30 minutes when all four are in Boston, or what is it, Boston show? I don't care. In the city the, fighting each other. And that's the, and everything else is just so slow leading up to when, it. Yeah, but like even that, like when I think back to that sequence, I'm still like, no, it's too bogged down by all the human characters and all the bullshit going on around that that I do not give a fuck about. And also, I didn't like the way that fight ended, which I think I've been on record on this show as, as saying, because I didn't like the way that it just resulted in Godzilla doing a big energy burst and just blew up King Ghidorah. That was kind of it. And it was like, well, I would have was... liked to have seen it be a little bit more, you know, Godzilla really beat the shit out of Ghidorah and like, feel like he really defeats him. But There wasn't enough technique in your kaiju fight? No, there wasn't. I like that's the thing. No, but like for real though, I don't want choreography. See, I personally, for me, I don't want to see a kaiju just like blast another one with a big energy beam and it's gone. Unless, unless it's like a cool effect around it, you like really get to see like the damage of it. I want to see Godzilla lay his teeth into Ghidorah and rip some flesh out. Like I want to see them get violent. I know they're not going to get that violent in that movie because they were trying to aim for like a PG-13 audience. I understand that. But yeah. like in Godzilla 2014 even, like the same monsterverse thing, although tonally I think between even just like that Godzilla movie in 2014 and King of the Monsters there was a huge tonal shift that they took, but um 
that movie, like, he rips open the big Mudo's mouth and, like, blasts him with, like, atomic breath yeah. down the throat, and you see his, like, head sever, and it just, like, yeah, that was rad as hell. And there was a lot of build-up in that movie to that, and a lot of us not really getting to see Godzilla. Like, the payoff in that movie really pays off. Um, it, It's, yeah, it, it's just... <sighs> yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, as much as even, like, Godzilla vs. Kong, I could say, is, like, a step up from King of the Monsters, like, it, it can never be as good as something like Shin Godzilla, because, like, Shin Godzilla isn't, like... The whole premise of, like, that movie is, like, one of the most down-to-earth kaiju films I've ever seen, which I know is a weird thing to say about a movie with a big monster lizard that crawls out of the ocean to, like, fuck everything yeah. up. But that movie the world around that monster is the most believable one I think I've seen in any Godzilla movie, maybe outside of the 54 original again, just to say, but like that felt like modern day Japan. It felt like modern day Japan's government reacting to this happening. And, and much of that is intentional because it's meant to be satire of the Japanese government's handling of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster. Mm. But it, it feels much more real, and it, it that's why it has much more impact when Godzilla goes fucking ape shit and just annihilates a huge swath of Tokyo in nuclear fire. And you see him in Godzilla in that film is particularly nightmarish if you've never seen uh, what it looks like, Beast. But it's it just you see the form of this huge monster standing in the flames of like what were, you know, pretty populated buildings beforehand, and just with how much more real the world feels, like, you really get the sense of devastation that comes with that, and that is just, like, because of that, it, it will stand way above, like, what, you know, is able to be done with, you know, something like Godzilla versus Kong, or, or it, what, because, like, I guess the main thing for me is, like, the Western audience, like, the Hollywood side of it, when they see those movies, I feel like a lot of the executives, at least still, they just see the spectacle, the big tent pole, big monsters fighting, big smackdown, whatever. That's that's all they see. But there is a lot more that can be done with it. Like, go back to Pacific Rim, right? Like, one of the things that Del Toro really knows, and one of the things I really love about him is his love of monsters. But his love of monsters isn't just, oh, I think monsters are cool. I mean, I think that's part of it, too. Like, that, that is for even myself as well. Like, monsters are cool. Monster designs are interesting. They're, they're more out there. But he understands the idea of, like, monsters as being representations and reflections of who we are as people. And, you know, kind of playing with the idea of just because something looks horrible and monstrous doesn't necessarily mean that it is on the inside, right? And that's something that like he was able to sort of bring that in a way and some of that understanding that humanity to something like Pacific Rim where it was really lacking in, you know, the MonsterVerse series in a lot of ways because all it cared about was the spectacle. And while there was spectacle in Pacific Rim, there was a real humanity to its characters that wasn't there. Like I've seen, like one of my favorite pictures that I saw recently on Twitter around some of this tokusatsu stuff was Del Toro in Japan getting to meet people dressed up as the monsters, some of like the kaiju from Ultraman. And I was thinking as I've been watching it, like Ultraman really does, uh, I think something that would speak to uh, uh, Del Toro. And I'm not surprised he's a fan of it because there is a, a big through line in that of like a lot of times monsters aren't the, the monsters are like tragic monsters, right? Like they, they are, they're not necessarily evil. Like I was watching an episode of Ultraman uh, T earlier. Cause that's the series I'm working through right now. 
and there was a monster that was i mean he kind of turned into a bit of a bastard at the end but they they initially had him kind of set up as like oh he's like he's here for revenge because like they blew up an alien ship that like had his family on it and that's why he's there to like fuck them up because they fucked up and fucking up his people right so like yeah and basically it's like del toro meeting these these creatures from the show and he's like so happy and so excited to meet them and stuff and it's like i don't know it's it's this whole thing of like there is a humanity that needs to be there that mm-hmm. though the western side of of uh trying to like replicate this with hollywood pictures just doesn't really seem to understand right now i think the humanity of kaiju yes <laughs> No, and for real though, like it's it's a legit thing. As funny as it sounds. Now that's your podcast title. That's you know that is a, a good title. I'll give you. A. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So we know what you did this week. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I guess we should probably go head over to the recommendation corner now. I think uh, the shout out corner. Get to anything I wanted. To talk <laughs> well. I mean, there's always an, there's fine. always the next week, right? There's always next week. Okay. I apologize. Yes, I, I, I will apologize. I kind of did dominate <laughs> this episode. I kind of came in with Ultraman ready to roll, and I had a lot more to say about it than I realized. But man, that's oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. I guess we'll go to the recommendation corner. Yeah. Um, I will recommend the horror movie "Await Further Instructions." Oh. The Yes, so the basic premise is you've got a British dude, uh, he's going home for Christmas, and he decides to bring his girlfriend to meet the rest of the family. And tensions are pretty high already because he doesn't get along with the rest of his family. They're like old British, like grandpa's like super old British racist, and the girlfriend's, you know, Indian, so that's already tension build, and uh, he hates his uh brother and the sister-in-law hates his dad like nobody gets along and it's christmas and on that christmas eve night after like a huge fight over dinner um in the middle of the night the guy and his girlfriend decide that they're gonna leave but when they try to go through the front door it's locked there's like and like they're or sorry it's not locked there's this weird sort of like ribbed metal sheet in front of the door and it's in front of all the windows and they can't pry it open. They even like charge at it, they take an ax to it, and the rest of the family wakes up and sees like, okay, there's all this shit all over the windows, there's no way to get out of the house. And the, there's no cell service, no internet, the TV isn't working except for a single screen that says, uh, stay inside your homes, await further instructions. And that's the and that's the premise of the movie. That is a pretty good plot hook, and that does sound pretty fucking dreadful. Yes. So you've got all these fucking people who hate each other. Like parents can't get along. Grandpa's just sitting in the corner in his wheelchair, like being <laughs> super racist and yelling at everybody. Uh, you got the Chad stupid brother and his pregnant girlfriend. Like just it's all going and they all they're like oh like the girlfriend hates us like she she thinks she's better than us and it's just it is just nightmarish and it's so interesting because you see how 
everybody reacts to when the different instructions come up on the TV. And it's just so interesting. Now, I will say that the ending got the little Carpenter-esque. And I really enjoyed that. Mm. And then the final ending of the movie, you know, I, I wasn't a huge fan of how it ended. Um, I find that's the hardest thing with horror movies. The ending can totally make or the rest of the movie goes, even if it has yeah. like a really good hook. Um, for me, the ending wasn't that great, but it does not outweigh how amazing the initial hook was. Oh, that's fair. It does seem like it would be an interesting premise for sure. Like it, I could definitely see the the sort of slow but not too slow burn. Like I mean, it sets itself up very nicely in the mm-hmm. in the way of you know because it's it's really is just like yeah, imagine like your worst ever, like the most uncomfortable like family dynamic you can imagine for like having uh-huh. a big family get together thing, but then we are now going to flock them all in a place where they cannot escape each other mm-hmm. and they have to put up with each other. And yeah, I mean, that just, that just writes itself in a way almost, 100%. but yeah, the, the ending would be pretty, uh, pretty important not to fuck up in something like that. Cause yeah, <laughs> it, it really does sort of hinge on, cause that's the big thing when you have a premise like that, right? It's something that hinges on like, well, what's really happening here? What's what's the the root of the mystery that you're setting up? And yeah, if it's yeah. not satisfying, that's yeah. That yeah, could... and um, it was really funny because Invisibo wasn't watching; like he was playing games with his friends, and like when he got up to get water, he's like, "Oh, what are you watching?" And I explained that hook to him, and he just looks at me and goes, "God fucking damn it! I want to watch this now. I don't want to play <laughs> games with my friends anymore." <laughs> so and just um. But he did glance over enough while he was playing to get the gist of it. And then when we got to the ending, we both kind of, like, I was like really lukewarm towards it. And he was just like, no, that was a garbage ending. So (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely going to depend from person to person. But um, I, I don't know. That hook is just so good to me. And I loved it based on that alone. Yeah, that's, that's definitely fair. Um, I'm not really one uh, much of a horror person myself, but I do I don't mind uh, a good thriller. So mm-hmm. uh, to kind of keep up with the spoopy nature, uh, I'm gonna recommend the movie Don't Breathe. <gasps> I love that oh movie. Oh my god! Well, yeah, we, we uh, yeah, <laughs> Fly and I went and saw that together in theaters. Actually, hey, nice, hell yeah! Yeah, it's a pr- it's a pretty good movie. I wasn't like yeah. I said, I'm not really much of a horror person, but uh, once I like got into it, like oh, I just I realized oh, this is a really cool movie. Uh, for those of you who mm-hmm. don't know, it's about a uh, group of teens who try to rob a blind uh, veteran. Uh, and yeah, as you can imagine, I won't spoil it, but things don't go the greatest, and chaos ensues. And it's just a a really good premise and. Uh, it was a good premise and also just a very well done execution of the movie. Oh yeah, like the guy who uh-huh. played the blind veteran. Oh, oh my god, yeah. he played it so beautifully. Yes. Oh yeah. No, he. Oh, what's his name? Shit, I remember that actor's Stephen name. Stephen Lang. Yes, yeah, Stephen Lang. Yeah, no, yes, he was yes. he was a great choice for the role because yeah, he he really does have that air of that like intimidating like <laughs> military dude who will just like fuck you up. And yes. it, it it was. That movie was so fucking tense for me watching that in the yes. theater. Holy yes. fuck, man. 
Yeah, for me, there were certain parts at the end where I was in my seat gripping the hand, the 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 um the hand rest and just like my I felt my heart pounding in my chest at like that there's that one scene at the end where I I, I felt my whole body just go like like it was so good. It doesn't really well, it just yeah. does a really good job of um, like letting you think, oh, it's over, it's gonna end. Oh shit! Yeah. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Here we go again, <laughs> round two. Let's go. Oh, oh I, I'm not gonna lie. Like, this, well, this is like an out of context, out of context spoiler, but the turkey <laughs> baster made me gag when. Oh they yeah, that was well. That the whole thing, well, because like that was a whole great part of the setup too. Like initially, because like. It, it it really was super great because they had this initial setup of like okay yeah we're we're setting up the characters and everything and then they set up okay this is what the job is going to be because yeah it, it's one thing I think to say that they go and rob this old uh, blind veteran and stuff but it's another thing I think when you really add on to the fact that his house is way out in like the fucking like yes. slums in Detroit yeah. like like way out in the boonies like he, he is like the yeah. one of these last holdouts that is just still staying around there when everywhere else around it is just these deserted like ruined homes and there is no yes. one else for miles almost yes yes and yes, it's yes. It, it's like oh they are isolated way the fuck out here cops aren't gonna come out here no one's gonna nope. fucking come out here they have no help and they go in and it's just suddenly it's one of those things too. Like when they get in there and it's like, okay, yeah, it's, it's, you know, they got creepy and they got to be sneaky and stuff and they're, they're doing fine for a bit, but then suddenly shit is increasingly off. Like, Oh, what's going on with the basement? Like, why is the basement door all like locked up like crazy? What's with this big fucking like, where's like, why is the money all hidden like up and around here? Yeah. Like all these things are off about the situation. And then like, yeah. as the movie goes on and more of that unravels, it just becomes more disturbing and more yes. horrifying and it's oh god oh my fuck it is um nail biting it is, a, it is a good it is I really think, nail biting yeah i i i think one of the important hooks like and i think you can discuss why it goes so wrong uh because it, it is in the trailer so it's not like it, it's hiding anything when you when going into it to explain why the dude is such a threat um that he, he's basically daredevil basically oh yeah like he's blind, but all his other senses are like like low key kind of heightened. Like he can hear really well. He's really yeah. good at hearing shit. So that's that's the whole premise, right? And the sound design in the movie works for at least from what I remember of it, oh, worked really, yeah, really yeah. well. Like they really play well with just keeping really silent and letting you really hear like the subtlety and the the movements and everything they were doing and how it was sort of translating to like how he could sense yeah. them and scenes too where like you know, when they, I, there's the one particular point where the lights go out, and of course, he's the only one who has an advantage. Fuck me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, so intense. I get, like, chills yeah. thinking about it. Steven, <laughs> Stephen Lang is so jacked for, like, being, like, oh, what is yeah. it, like, 90? I don't know. Like, it's so wild to me how, like, how buff he is. Like, because I think, I think he's almost, wait, let me. He's 68. Yeah, he's six, 68, and he's so jacked. Oh, That's yeah. so wild to me. Well, I remember he Just, was the, the big man. general dude in fucking, um, Avatar, um, and Avatar, he, yeah, he, yeah. there was a push for a bit too of trying to get him to uh, play Cable. Cable, uh, he should, he really should have been Cable. He, yeah, no, that would have been sick. Uh, he would have been great for it. But yeah, no, yeah. like absolutely great uh, 
absolutely great those are those are some choices um yeah i man. think man i don't know what i would recommend you know what i'll i'll recommend something like it's it's gonna be in the horror realm but it's not gonna be like a movie per se uh it's a short film on youtube um it's by a group called out studios which was a, a little studio that was making short films that was basically created by neil blomkamp who uh of course the famed director of district nine and uh less famed director of elysium and chappie um you can't everybody knows him for district nine but a lot of people argue he hasn't done anything good since then i would contend that oats studios is proof that he can do some cool shit still though because there's a lot of short films on there that are really dope the one i really enjoyed the most was one called zygo and i definitely recommend you go and check this out because it is set on this facility in northern canada i believe uh, and the whole idea is like it's in this further future, uh, but they're basically at this facility. There was this, as you kind of learn through it, there was something that happened basically, and everything is fucked. And there is this woman uh, who is, as you kind of pick up through the, the initial conversation, she's a sort of android, but she's with this dude who his eyes are fucked and he can't see, but they need to get out because there is something coming after them. This s- oh. massive, slow, screeching horror. And they need to like work their way through this facility to get out. And as they're going, you start to learn more and more through Buddy talking and kind of recounting things that were going on. Because there is this dude... Because ba- basically, something crash-landed there. And it caused one of the people at the facility to go fucking absolute batshit and start to do some weird experiments. And... Things got hella huh. fucked, and I'm not gonna spoil. Like, I don't even want to go so far as to tell you what the monster is, but when you see it, it is some of the most horrific shit. My god, it is it is some good creature design, and I it it it's it's the perfect like big lumbering slow monster. That's all I'm gonna say about it. Cause it's it's that kind of trope, I guess you could say, but it is. It is menacing, and it, it is a thing that is, it, it's that sort of, uh, it has that slow burn of, like, she, not too slow, I guess, because it's not a particularly long short, but it, it's basically, you know, they're only ever, like, one step ahead, it feels like, through the whole thing, and it is just this constant tension of, like, they are just doing what they can to keep ahead of this and get to where they need to go, because she's trying to carry Buddy along, and he's injured as fuck, and they have to at one point go through like the like this basically outdoor blizzard to like cross this section to get to this other part of the facility, and like they're just they can't see shit. They're just trying to keep moving ahead so that the thing doesn't catch up to them too much. And it's oh, it's it's really good. It has does some really cool things with lighting effects and stuff like that. That of course like the set design and like the design of like all the technology and everything. Like it's Neil Blomkamp. He's got that shit on lock. It, you know it's gonna be fucking good. Oh, definitely watch it. Wow. How long is it? Oh, like, I want to say 10 to 20 minutes. What's it oh, called again? Okay. Zygote. Zygote? Oh, okay. Z-Y-G-O-T-E. Like the, the cell. Interesting. Okay. Oh, that's good shit. Okay. I, I like the sound of that. Um, hmm. And plus, it's very digestible. It's only like 20 minutes, so. Oh yeah, exactly too. Oh, I love time. I love this I love this push 
in the recommendation corner for like spoopy movies, scary <laughs> heart heart racing movies. Yeah, well, that's definitely money. like the, yeah the spoopiest recommendation uh, section we've had. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about a spoopy movie as well that I watched three times this week. Three times. Holy yeah, Lord. yeah. No, it, yeah. Invisible and, and I sat down and watched this movie three times because it was so scary Damn. and effective. Yeah. Damn. And that oh, wasn't the it. recommendation, huh? You know what? No. <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. I'm bonus, I'm taking, bonus recommendation. I'm taking, fuck it. I am taking a second recommendation this week <laughs> to make up for all the kaiju talk. Damn. <laughs> um. My second recommendation this week is Gonjiam Haunted Asylum. Uh, it is a Korean horror film. And uh, oh my god, it's just, it's so good. Um, so you've got this group of YouTubers who basically are, they're like, they, they hunt ghosts. They're, they're just ghost hunters, right? Uh, okay. And they decide they're going to do an episode in a haunted asylum. And what's really great is this 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 old old uh mental hospital is an actual place in South Korea, um and it's considered one of Korea's like spookiest places to go to, and it actually made it onto CNN's travels like top ten most like haunted places you could travel to in the world or something like that. Uh -huh. Um yeah 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 so it's a real place, cool. yeah and so these the this youtube group is like okay like it's gonna be really great if we go in there we'll set up some still cameras and we've got like the main dude outside set up in like um our main base tent and the rest of you you'll go inside to like like find some happenings and so um and it's it's a found footage film it's all filmed from like so at the beginning of the film it's all from like their laptop point of view as they're like filming videos like we're gonna go check this place out in our next episode and then when they're there all the footage is from either the still cameras that they hook up in the corners of all the rooms and hallways, um, either that or a camera that they're holding in their hands or a GoPro that they've, because all uh, the whole group of them, they've got like that chest rigging thing. You know that, that the GoPro rig that people have where it's like attached to like a chest piece and then it sticks out like a, about a foot from your chest and then it looks, okay. up, it looks up at your face so that you get the facial reactions and your face is a still point on the screen, but then everyone else like around in the background is moving. So I know I know what tool you're talking oh. about. I can't think of the name. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what what the what it's called, but it's that rig for GoPros to catch your face, and then like your head is the still point in the center of the screen. Um, so I I actually didn't get any motion sickness <laughs> while watching, nice. um, since their hey. faces weren't like shaking all over the place. Like, um, I'm on record for uh, actually when the group of us went to go see Hardcore Henry, I vomited <laughs> at the 40 minute mark. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. that. I felt bad. Yeah. 
<laughs> I did make it to the washroom though, but just barely. Oh. And then the rest yeah. of the movie, I, yeah. Well, so I think I, I, I yeah. think I felt bad too because I think afterwards they were like, yeah, I had to like you had to like cover your face basically for yeah. like the whole rest of the movie. Uh, and you were like, yeah. yeah, I straight up vomited, dog, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I didn't even know. Damn. Yeah. I I was having a fucking blast with that movie. I movie I actually low key I I really kind of dug. It was so just like over the top and cheesy, yeah. but like. Yeah, I felt so bad you were like, yeah, I almost fucking died, dude. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. hey, we're gonna, yo, I was sick, right? No, dog. No, 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 dude, I was dead. That was bad. No, like, oh, it was so funny because, like, I actually ended up timing it where it was like, it only took 20 minutes for me to start feeling queasy. Oh, and then, like, on the mark at the 40 minute mark i'm like i've got to go and i ran to the washroom <laughs> but anyway so like i i didn't have that problem with this movie because you know that the head is still and when there's a still point on the screen it helps me like physically stabilize what i'm watching so and of course like as they go in it's all like it's all it, they're like oh look, there's no such thing as ghosts like we're just going to get like a million views and we're going to live stream this whole thing and as shit gets gets worse when they're in this hospital the main they're like their boss guy is like don't you fucking leave there we're getting so like we have 500,000 people watching right now we're halfway to a million viewers we're not cutting out this live stream don't you fucking leave and it's like and it just gets so so scary because like just the spookenings really get to everybody and i really really have to commend uh the actors for just really expressing these fearful express like they just have these horrible fearful looks on their faces and it that's what really sells the scariness of it and a lot of it if there's no there, there was exactly one jump scare in the entire movie oh, oh damn and that's what made it so scary for me because all of the scares were slow burns where you're like, what is that thing? And then it holds. The camera just holds on it. It doesn't move that you don't move the camera. The whatever you're looking at doesn't move. And it just, you, you're, you as the audience, you are forced to just stare at this thing. And I remember there was this one point where Invisibo and I were getting so freaked out. We got off the couch and ran into the kitchen <laughs> where we could like still see the TV, but we were as physically far away from the TV as we could get the first time we watched it. Cause there were some parts that were just, and we were just screaming in the kitchen, like, oh my God, look at that, no, don't. And it, it, we just, we were so freaked out and like, I'm not that battered by horror movies. Like I watch a lot of horror movies. This movie really fucked me up. It was really scary and really effective for the simple fact that it there are no jump scares. It just it's just so atmospheric. And um the one actress in this one scene that really scared me, um, she she was basically trapped between a rock and a hard place. And it was basically game over for her. And she did, I, I don't know her, I don't remember her name, but she just did this amazing job at expressing this utter 
total defeat on her face that she just looked so helpless and you really really got the sense of like oh fuck like this is it that's this is game over there's no getting out of this and I wish I wish I, I I wish I remembered her name, but she just did such a good job really expressing and getting across that utter hopelessness. And and yeah, so Invisible and I watched this movie three times, like <laughs> in the past like two weeks. Because it's just so good. Damn. That's quite the endorsement. Yeah, I, don't I think really there's ever been a time how no matter how much I've loved a movie that I've watched it three times in one week. Yeah, no, I like, and there that's because there, like, especially because there were so many subtle things that were happening in the corner of the screen where you're not quite sure, like, wait, what was that? And just doing a rewatch was really helpful. That's fair. There are definitely movies like Shin Godzilla, actually, is one that appreciates a lot on rewatch because, like, mm-hmm. that's a movie where, like, there's so many things happening so quickly that, like, there's a lot of things you can miss in, in kind of a similar sense. So, yeah, like, that's. That's cool. It's always neat when you find movies like that where uh, there is like rewatch value in a way. Oh yeah, for sure. So, uh, so yeah, that was my recommendation. I, I, it's the one horror movie that I've watched in a long time where I actually got scared going to the bathroom at night because it's so dark, and then I couldn't stop thinking about like the scary ghosts that were in the movie because the ghosts were just so effective. So, oh, I do have a story, though, when we were watching it. Um, and I know this this episode is going on for so long, but it relates to the movie. Um, at one point in the movie, one of the friends is just standing there, not moving. And she's like, she has her back turned to the to the one girl and she's not responding to her name getting called. And I thought that was a really good time to turn to Invisibo and I told him, hey, I don't think I ever told you, but when I was a kid, I used to sleepwalk. And often it would just result in me just standing in the corner of the room. Huh. And he like, didn't like, just he didn't straight, like that. Straight up Blair witching it, huh? Just Blair witching <laughs> it. And Invisible did not appreciate it at all. He didn't like that I told him that. Uh, nah, there, <laughs> there's there's the episode title, Blair witching it in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, I i remember accidentally doing that to like my family because we were visiting some friends and we stayed over the night and we we're all in the same room together and in the middle of the night like i thought i was in my head i thought i was going into the wa- to the washroom and i remember hearing my mom going like what are you doing and like that's when i quote unquote woke up and i realized i was just standing in the corner of the room <laughs> damn that's uh yeah yep i don't do it anymore uh but i don't think invisible would stay with me for that long if i did that to him (laughs) (laughs) this bitch is haunted this bitch is haunted i'm I'm done with her (laughs) (laughs) i guess that that really brings a new meaning to the term <laughs> getting ghosted. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Oh, God, we're ending on <laughs> yep, that. That's the note we're going to end it on. Thanks for uh, checking oh. us out this week, folks. Yeah, th- thanks for giving us a listen with our uh, spoopy stories <laughs> at the end. Something to keep you <laughs> up at night. 
<laughs> you might just we see fly standing over you. Well, we had to. <laughs> You well, have to listen to this of, podcast and about five feet make, above your head. If you don't make somebody else listen to this podcast in seven days, I'll come haunt you. <laughs> the real thing is, if you listen to this podcast in reverse, it's actually the full script of the B movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so spooky! That, that's what really summons the devil. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us this week, Fly. Yeah, thanks for having me. I didn't have a lot to contribute with the kaiju, but I'm still glad I was here. Yeah, for sure. Well, you definitely brought because we see we got the full spectrum of the monster shit, right? We got the the fun monsters, and then we got the spooky monsters, and that's that's exactly. kind of the yeah. that's kind of the range of it. It's what we need. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also a very big thank you to Blackbird Bell, aka our buddy Zoo, for letting us use his tunes as our outro and outro tunes. Go check him out. Did you was that intentional? Yes. Yeah. Huh? You said outro and outro, like yeah, oh, like fuck you did me. last week. <laughs> Intro and outro. <laughs> I didn't know if that was like an intentional callback to like, hey, remember when I did that thing? Or if True, that was know with that. Also, Blackbird Bell is amazing because I bought an old tower off of him and now I can play video games. Oh, yeah, you've, you've now joined the club of the people who Thanks. buy Zoo's old stuff. <laughs> yeah. My keyboard, my monitor, and the wireless headset that I have all from him. Really? Yeah. Wow. Damn. It's very often I'll think that, like, yeah, I need a new one of these, and then I'll, at some point <laughs> in, the, in your future, Zoo will be like, hey, so I'm looking to sell this thing, and I'm like, oh, yeah, hey. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I need one of those. I don't necessarily want to pay full price, and you sell it for... He takes good care of his stuff, and he sells it at reasonable prices. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The, the tower was amazing. Like, there was only, like, a little bit of cat hair in it, but, like, I just took a quick, like, um, air spray to it and it's good as new. <laughs> the acceptable level of feline dander this, this tier piece needs. Yes. That it's there was. Got my money's worth. Uh, <laughs> love you, Zoo. <laughs> I guess that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Yeah, thanks for giving us a, a listen. Uh, I've been Beas. I've been Big B. And this has been Balcony Banter, episode 30. See you next time. Stay sexy, folks. <laughs>